so um, I'm going to carry on this session looking at Colossians. Um, a while back, we preached through Colossians, or I preached through Colossians in York. Uh, we called the series Subversive City and, uh, and looked at the whole idea of the church as being a city within a city that, that speaks to and reveals the true city. And you know what I mean? The kind of yada yada. If you listen to any Mark Driscoll, you might have heard that kind of thing. Um, you don't get, you don't have to say things like that. You get to say things like that as. Uh, <sighs> Oh, man, yeah, I know, yeah, okay. Well, see, I'm serving you, Joe, because I'm getting it out now, and no one wants to say it anymore after this weekend. So it's like, yeah, that's old news. So um, it feels a bit weird doing this session now, um, because in reality, I think having been among you for the weekend, you're, you're probably doing this to a degree already. So it's not, this isn't so much, look, here's something that you all need to do, um, as maybe now, well, look, here's a theological grounding for, for what you are doing, and maybe some additional thoughts and, and tweaks and things that might help you to think about what you're up to and, and what you do together as a church. Um, so we're going to try and keep it relatively brief. I know that's like kind of preacher's suicide to say that sort of thing. Um, and then we're going to spend a good time afterwards worshipping, celebrating together. Hopefully it will become obvious at that point why we've done this session this way around. So we're going to look at this scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 15b to 17. Paul says, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, thankfulness shows up, I think, six times. A seventh word for thankfulness, I think I'm right in saying it. It shows up about seven times uh, in, in the New Testament. I think it's about five or six in Colossians. Like, it shows up again and again and again and again and again. And you get the feeling that Paul's trying to get to a point through when he's talking about thankfulness. And to, to talk about giving thanks when you're a Christian, particularly if you've been a Christian for a while, it can just seem a little bit ho-hum, because like, no, we know about giving thanks. It's that thing that you say when you have a meal, we give thanks for this food. By the way, what on earth does bless this food to our bodies mean? Have you ever wondered that? Bless this food to our bodies, Lord. Hey, what? What do you mean? You're going to throw it at me or something? Like, what on earth? Anyway, I, I digress. Just, just thought, maybe, I don't know where it originated from. Anyway, what I want to look at is this idea of thankfulness in the context of the church and why it's a big deal and why Paul wants to really hone in on this idea of thankfulness. And I want to just kind of throw this one out to you. Thankfulness is one of the hallmarks of the new humanity in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is one of the hallmarks of the new humanity in Christ Jesus. Someone read earlier on and prayed, a, a young guy over there, uh, from Romans 1, 21. And uh, in Romans 1, 21, we read this. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What you're going to understand in this passage is Paul's doing two things in Romans 1. He's, he's, on one hand, he is doing the kind of usual Jewish polemic against the Gentile world and the pagan world, but he's simultaneously lumping in Israel with that. 
He's kind of saying, listen, the very people who were called by God to be a light to the nations, who were called to be a people who knew God and gave thanks to him in order to make him known and his story known and his great acts known, have also fallen into the same pattern of failing to give thanks. Their, heart, their, their minds became futile, their thinking, and they crashed. And so the people who have the promises, the people, if you like, the doctors carrying the medicine, have been found themselves to be infected with the disease. And so what he's doing here is saying, look, this, this prototype new humanity on the earth fluffed it. They blew it because they failed to give thanks with all their heart. They failed to be the people that God actually intended them to be. And so it becomes a massive thing for the church, the new humanity in Christ. It's not just where we give thanks because God wants us to be polite. You know, God likes people, Christians, who mind their P's and Q's with him. <laughs> That's what it's about. Thankfulness is a part of being truly human. And so if we are the people of God being renewed in Christ Jesus, image bearers that having that image restored and renewed in Christ who is the image, the truly human one, we're becoming truly alive and human in Christ Jesus, a new humanity, a brand new people on the earth now, then thankfulness and thanksgiving is a key plank in the kind of job description or whatever of what, who we are and what we do. So we give thanks to him. We acknowledge God. We give thanks for his great and mighty acts. We give thanks for his kindness. We do more than just giving thanks because we prayed for a parking lot space and we, we got one. I mean, that's like, oh, meh. Like, okay, fair enough. But there's more to it than that, I think. I think. I know. I know there is. Israel had a story to tell, you see. They had a story to tell that was a story of the one creator God who had called a man called Abraham, who was a pagan, a sun worshipper from probably Iraq, actually, Iraq. Do you say Iraq? Iraq. But you know. And then from that man had come a family and a nation. And that nation had then been enslaved in Egypt. And God acted in grace and brought them out, delivered them, made them promises, made them to be a people, promised them a land and a destiny, a vocation. And so God revealed himself to Israel through creation and through the Exodus. Now the theological terms here are covenant and uh, monotheism and covenant. One God who's the covenant God. Or you could talk about election and covenant. I mean, different ways of looking at it, okay? And so Israel has this story. They have a story to tell of how God, the one God, the true God, the creator God, covenanted himself to them and them to him and brought them out of slavery in a great act with mighty uh, acts with a strong arm, right, and brought them out into a land and they became his people. They became a light to the nation. They're supposed to tell this story. They're supposed to reveal to the world this God, this great covenant creator, rescuer God. You know, there's this fallacy that sometimes it goes, well, I don't know, I've got to be careful what I say, I suppose. It's very easy to slip into a, a, a low-level thing of, well, the Old Testament is about works and the New Testament is about grace. It's not quite as easy as that, actually. Israel were redeemed by grace. They, had, they were redeemed by blood. They came through the sea and into a land by grace. They, they weren't saved because they obeyed the law. They got the law later as a charter of how to live as the renewed people of God. <laughs> right? And so now the church, we don't have the law, we have the spirit. Right? So we get the Holy Spirit as this charter. This is how we live, Paul's saying. It's not by the law, but it's about the spirit. We fulfill the desires of the law. Uh, we fulfill the law by living by the spirit. 
So the whole thing to say, well, you know, Israel, well, it was about law and about works. Well, not entirely in the way that we say it, actually. Um, that's probably a whole other sermon. So I'll quickly sort of just <laughs> put some brackets around that and move on. So what this whole idea then that Israel are called to be a people who give thanks, who reveal to the world what God is like and call the world into the, the blessing and relationship to, to make, uh, to be a light to the world. And they don't achieve it. They don't do it because they fail to give thanks. They complain, they bicker. I've just been reading through numbers recently and just like the kind of catastrophe of complaining and moaning and grizzling and groaning and things like that. And I was reading it through thinking, man, this sounds like my life sometimes, you know, like Christians grizzling and moaning and complaining and things. And we're called to give thanks in order to tell a story, brothers and sisters. We give thanks not just in order to remind ourselves about what God has done, but in order that the world might see and know the kind of God that we claim to worship. And so what I want to suggest to you this morning is that your worship tells a story. Our worship tells a story. And there's a responsibility, therefore, for us to tell our story as well as we possibly can. Worship tells a story. It's not this crisis moment necessarily Sunday by Sunday. It's a story of our great experience of exodus, of deliverance, of being brought out of slavery and into promise in Christ Jesus. And in through Colossians, if we were to go through it, if we were to spend, like, I don't know, a few weeks, a few Sundays looking through it, you would discover that Paul uses Genesis language and Exodus language all the way through Colossians to describe what God has done now in Christ Jesus. The cross, the resurrection, is the new Exodus and entering into new things. That's, what it's, that's what's happening. And so we have our Exodus story to celebrate. We have an Exodus story of our own to rejoice in and celebrate because we were in slavery and we have been redeemed and brought out by the blood of Jesus, baptized into Christ Jesus, living a new kind of life, not in a new land somewhere, but actually with the hope of a new creation as we saw earlier on. Right? So this is our story. And we get to tell it and retell it. And as we give thanks to God, we're not giving thanks randomly for random things. We give thanks primarily for the great exodus experience that we have received in Christ. You understand? That's where we start. That's what our worship is primarily for. That's primarily what we're doing. We're coming together saying, wow, we were not a people. We were redeemed by grace. We've had this experience of exodus in Jesus. And now we celebrate and give thanks to the, the one true God for his new great exodus act in Christ. That's what we do. All right? See, it's big, yeah? This is like macro, large, not kind of micro, me and my stuff. It's big. This is objectively true of all of us as we gather together. Now, Colossians, back to Colossians 3. Actually, if we can, John, can we have that slide back up again just so that we can uh, keep an eye on the, uh, sorry about that. Here it comes. Brilliant, thank you. See, this again, realize that this is a corporate thing. Paul is not dealing just here with our isolated individual life. He's not talking about your quiet time. He's probably not, well, he probably is actually talking about your life group to some degree. Uh, but he's talking about the gathered church together. That as we gather, as we worship, as we celebrate, as we give thanks, we are retelling our story to one another. And also, guess what? To people who are not Christians who are in the midst of us on any given Sunday. We are telling a story to ourselves, 
reminding one another of what has happened to us in Christ Jesus and therefore building up the church and speaking to people who are not Christians and saying, hey, check this out. We weren't a people once. We were slaves once. We're now free. Glory. Wow. Wonderful. So you have to tell the story well. You have to tell it well. And Paul gives us some clues in this passage about how we do it. So thankfulness, we started, give thanks, be thankful. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, what he's talking about here is probably not the New Testament as we have it. He's talking about the apostolic tradition, preaching, teaching about Jesus, life, death, resurrection, ascension. He's talking about this tradition. He's talking about what it meant for Christ to come, to live, to die, to be raised, what it meant to be in him, what it meant to be this renewed people, a new humanity. He's talking about that kind of thing. He's also talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit who makes the word of, Christ, the word of God, which is Christ, real and tangible among us. And so what we do when we gather is we don't just kind of go stick our finger, trying to find out what's, where's the wind blowing, what are we going to sing this week, what should we do, where are we at, I don't know, who's got, who's got an idea, you know, we don't kind of stand up and read like, books from other religions, just trying somewhere blindly, trying to grab something spiritual, no, we have a rock to stand on, we have some firm foundation, we have a story of our experience of deliverance and exodus in Christ that we tell one another again and again and again. And you know, Israel celebrated the Passover meal, right? That was their retelling of their Exodus story. And it reminded them over and over and over and over, even when they were like, in exile in Babylon, over and again, there's this thing that you celebrate, you tell this story, you tell this story, you tell this story, you tell the story again, you repeat it again, you put it this way and this way and this way, because you've got to know who you are. You've got to know where you've come from, where you are now. And actually, knowing where you've come from makes sense of where you are now and gives hope for where you're going to be. So as we tell this story to one another, we're doing more than, oh, not, not another song about the cross. Oh, what do you mean? We are reminding one another of the great narrative that we have become a part of now in Christ. Ooh, bang, boom, boom. That's a huge one, isn't it? So... The new covenant isn't, oh, God just goes, kind of pack away all that stuff. That doesn't count anymore. We have Jesus now, and that's all that matters. Hey, look, Jesus came to fulfill the long history, the checkered history, the winding story of Israel and Yahweh to bring it to a climax and to bring to fulfillment the promises of God to Abraham that the Gentiles might enter in and be part of the one family of Abraham that God promised him by faith. And we've come part of that What you and I have entered into is this massive story of God's intention to restore creation and to bless the nations. Hey, it's not just about you and your conscience. It's about God's intent to renew all things as we've been talking about, okay? So when we gather together, we're telling that story to one another. We're lifting our eyes to that big picture stuff. We're lifting our eyes onto what is really true, what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. We do more than come in and navel gaze because we feel so wretched about ourselves. And we go, oh, God, I was once nowhere, and now you brought me in. Think of how Paul writes in Ephesians. I noticed this the other day, Ephesians 1 Paul's like, we, we, our, our, we, our, talking like that. And I was like, who's he talking about? And it's so easy to casually read Ephesians and to think, well, he's talking about us all. Obviously, because he says we. So I'm reading, so it must mean me. I think actually he's talking about Jews. Israel had the election, the promises, the covenant. And now you get this. He says then, in, in him you also, halfway through Ephesians 1. And then he gets to this point in Ephesians 2, where Paul starts to say, and you who were once far off, 
have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in Christ, there's this amazing thing that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has delivered us from slavery and his son and brought us into the climax of the covenant in Jesus Christ through our own massive exodus experience in him. Wow. Now that's a bit bigger, isn't it? That takes in the Old Testament, whoa, hello, (laughs) and brings it into our experience in Christ. Wow, this is a bit of a different thing. And so our worship has to be focused on God's great acts. It has to be focused on the big story, the macro story. You see, there's a tragedy. When we come together as Christians and we start with all the stuff about I, 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 I'll worship, I'll do this, will this, will the other. And it focuses it right away on, on, on us. And God's saying, no, look to me. Look at what I've done. Look at this great story. That's where strength and courage comes from as we consider what God has done and is doing. So, man, that, hardly any of that was in the notes. Gosh, <laughs> yikes. Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let's look at that little phrase. Teaching here refers to intellectual instruction. So we teach one another, we stimulate our thinking. What you think matters a lot, how you think, your grasp of the story, your grasp of the purpose of God. We teach one another. Admonishment refers to the energizing of the heart and will towards action, towards actually doing stuff. Okay, so we've had both of that, I would say, this weekend. We've had teaching, we've had... hopefully, (laughs) intellectual stimulation, and we've had admonishment, this has got to work out in doing some stuff together. Now, not everybody on a Sunday morning is is at the front preaching, otherwise we'd be here all year long. (laughs) We could take up a residency at Green Hill. (laughs) Normally, only one one person per week preaches or something. But when we sing and celebrate and worship, when one reads a scripture, one prophesies, one brings a tongue and interpretation, someone sings out in the spirit, someone shares a picture, what we are doing is we are speaking God's words to one another in numerous different ways in order that, again, the story of our deliverance and our exodus in Christ, we're reminded of it and we're built up and established in it and it becomes real again in our experience right here right now amongst God's people where God's presence dwells. That's what's happening as we teach and admonish one another. It's more than just, I, I hate the term contributions. <laughs> Here's a little soapbox. How many contributions did you have on Sunday? Oh, it was great. We had, it was wonderful. We had a can of beans. We had a shopping list read out. Somebody, somebody sang from the Beatles songbook and, uh, and it was great. Somebody did a break dance. They're all contributions to a meeting but they're not spiritual gifts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Unless they're very spiritual beings. <laughs> the Bible speaks about spiritual gifts. In fact, the, the, the Greek for spiritual gifts is, is charismata. Charismata, it means a gracious endowment. So what we're looking for is not just your blessed thought this week, as nice as that might be, we're looking for grace from God. Because spiritual gifts are grace from God. Now, if you have cessationist leadings this morning, then why would you not want grace from God? Do you really want to shut off avenues of grace? Why? We need grace from God. And so we need spiritual gifts, not just contributions. Because contributions is a misleading term, I think. Grace from God can come in a whole bunch of ways. 
It has to be rooted in the word of Christ. As we allow it to dwell richly in us, it means we teach and admonish one another in all these different kinds of ways. It's all part and package of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let me encourage you to be students of the Bible. Again, you've got to find the ways that make it work for you. Ask Joe, what books can you read? Ask Kevin, can you give me a good article to download or a good book or something? But study, read. What you think and how you think matters. So be students, be diligent in your use of the word. Right, let's move on. I said to Joe I'll be about half an hour, so uh, I'm not doing too well at the moment. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. I love this. Notice this. It says sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in your heart to God. Horizontal, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thankfulness here to God. It doesn't say sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with hatred in your heart for one another. You see? Big difference. So what happens when we gather together as a church is that we speak to one another. We build one another up because, again, Christ is all and in all. And so we must be careful that in our keenness and our uh, deep desire to be Jesus-focused and Jesus-first and that we, we don't miss this idea that you can, you, know, you can stand and worship and raise your hands and sing and look ecstatic, but you, you've got hatred in your heart to someone. You've got a grievance that you've not dealt with. You've not forgiven somebody. You, you, you're abusing your wife somehow. Something's not right in your family. There's sin. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? See, what God intends is for this corporate body to be built up and to become increasingly Christ, mature, well-built, healthy. And so we sing and build one another up with thankfulness in our hearts to God for the great actions and activities that he has performed on our behalf in bringing us to him out of slavery in Christ into a new people, becoming a new humanity. Now think about how Psalms functions in the life of Israel. When you read through the Psalms, you will find again and again and again, for for the most part, apart from a few occasionally where it's it's maybe David, it's a personal thing, many of the Psalms are corporate Psalms. And what they do is they again and again and again highlight the things of creation and covenant of election and monotheism, these two things, that there's one God and we're his people and he acted like this. This is what he's like. He delivered us out. They retell the story over and over and over again. They function as a a realigning of history, a realigning of life, of experience, of who we are, of what we're about. And so once again, we're back to this thing that we gather together and we remind ourselves of this story that we are a part of now in Christ that is big and broad and wide. Like I said earlier, it's going somewhere. We've been somewhere. We're here now. We're heading somewhere. We've got to remind ourselves. We've got to find ways and means of telling the story to one another that equips us for living faithfully to that story now with an eye on where this thing is all going. And so it's so important, the way, that we, the way that we come together. We don't just come together to get my fix on Sunday, or oh, the worship was great this week, you did all the songs that I like. We come together to build one another up, brothers and sisters, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in order that Christ in us is honored and built up, and we have thankfulness in our hearts to God. 
This is the New Testament picture of corporate worship. It's not a concert. It's not a gig. We don't worship with the high priest being John Calhoun here. (laughs) He's a great guy. He's a great worship leader. It's a cool band, but it's not all about the band. It's not a performance. We changed the way that we set out the seats in York. Um, I remember preaching on this and, and having this kind of woo moment uh, leading up to the, in the preparation leading up to it. That we're going to do the seats in a horseshoe now. We're going to set up the seats differently so that everybody can see one another. <laughs> now that can bless or afflict depending on who you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are standing there in worship with your hands in your pockets with a face like a grieving haddock, That has a knock-on on how your brother or sister is being equipped and built up. I, I want you to understand the responsibility that you have to one another. Right? What I'm not saying is that you've all got to become banal, triumphalistic, crazy, happy, clappy, charismatics. <laughs> Where everything's just good and there's like a fixed plastic smile. What I'm saying is there's a responsibility that if I look at you worshipping, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, it ought to do something in me that thinks, oh, God is so good. And I ought to see in your heart and your life, I ought to have a relationship and think, yes, I know that that's how it's worked out in them. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Will you do that in me? Will you do that in my heart? Or, God, thank you so much that you're faithful and you did do that in my heart. Wow. And so together as we worship, it equips us together and builds us up together as the body. Now, I know that probably some of you are thinking this sounds well dodgy because we, worship, we just worship Jesus. Well, yeah, we do. But you've got to have a high understanding of the body of Christ. As Christ being all and in all. It's not just while we worship Jesus and it doesn't matter about anyone else. I mean, that's just going back to gig, concert, front-led, like religious kind of stuff where we don't have a, this high view of the church, this high understanding of the people of God, who we are, how we're built, what God intends for us, where we're going. So... Take responsibility for your brothers and sisters in worship. (laughs) Take responsibility for their upbuilding in Christ. Be a worshiper. Let me read you some quotes. This is fantastic. I love this. Um, Sorry, John, you're going to have to fiddle a little bit here. John Wesley. Sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a single degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. I had to preach that to myself this morning, big time. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find it a blessing. Sing lustily. Well, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Different generation. And with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. <laughs> does, anyone ever, does anyone want to confess to ever having sung the songs of Satan? And, and can you just tell me what they are, by the way? I don't know. I mean, does, it, does ACDC count? Because if it does, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Eek. Metallica. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Someone dared me to... Oh, no, no, let's not, get, let's not go there. Some, somebody dared me to call my son Axel. <laughs> Axel Rose. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Well, look at how Charles Spurgeon quoted. This is what Charles Spurgeon said in Psalm 33. It is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly manner. He deserves the best that we have. Let us not offer him limping rhymes set to harsh tunes and growled out by discordant voices. <laughs> it may just be me, but I think that disqualifies 50% of worship leaders, doesn't it? <laughs> Now look, the point, the point is this. The point is taking responsibility for one another. Not just come in on a Sunday morning, what can I get out of this? What can I receive? But I get an opportunity this morning, together with brothers and sisters in Christ, to celebrate our exodus, to celebrate our identity as the people of God, sons of Abraham in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Part of a massive epic story to tell one another the story, to repeat it, to rehearse it, to celebrate it, so that not only me, but my brothers and sisters might be built up and that we might become increasingly in practice and knowledge and experience what we have already corporately become together in Christ. There's a vision for corporate worship for you. My word. So think through what it looks like. Think through how you might tell your story better. Tell it well. Tell it faithfully. I think there's a missing chink sometimes in our worship, especially our charismatic worship. In our clamor to have prophecy and tongues, we have missed out two big things. One of them came out the other night, which is lamenting. We don't lament. We don't actually come together and go, God, why is it the way it is? But notice this, that in the Psalms, the laments are never just fatalistic. Oh my goodness, it's so hard. Some of the biggest lament Psalms, like Psalm 44, this is a great one, celebrates God's covenant, his election, his choosing David to be king, the promises to David, the temple, the whole shebang. They celebrate it. And then they say, but God, you have not gone out with our armies. We're being routed. We are being trounced here. And we've not been unfaithful to your covenant. We've not turned our back on you. And we're being done over. God, what the heck's going on? Come on. But I will celebrate you. And I will remember your Exodus story. And I will rejoice in the fact that you are the one good creator God. And you delivered us before. And my word, you will do it again. Because you cannot lie or change your mind. Do you see the process? Celebration? Why is it like this now? God will do it. That's how you lament well. You don't sit crying into your pine. That's not the way that it works. The other, the other thing missing is this. Testimony. We've got so testimony shy maybe because it seems kind of a little bit draws attention to one another. But the, the fact is we have stories to tell. Do you have stories? I'll, I'll bet in a 200 people so here, I'll bet there's loads of stories about how God came through about how the Exodus story that has happened once for all in Christ has kind of been repeated on a micro level like this and 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 like this. And And yet we don't say him because, well, it's not a prophecy and it doesn't seem to be very spiritual and it maybe isn't charismatic. But remember, it's about a multitude of gifts that give grace to us from God rather than just a few things. So if you've got stories to tell, Maybe you need to, as a church, find ways of, of giving time for story, for storied living. That's what we do. We're not a pragmatic, 
what's the word, um, proposition-based people only. We were storied people. We belong in a story. And we've missed it by a country mile when it only becomes this vertical thing. And we miss the fact that we're, hey, we're on, we're on the move somewhere. We're part of a great narrative. And we celebrate it and we remind one another. And hey, you have to be reminded, don't you? I mean, don't, don't you? Is it just me? Like, you have to be reminded. You have to hear it again and again and again and again. Now, some people find it boring because, oh, I know this stuff. Well, great. Well, somebody else doesn't, so get on with it. <laughs> sing, celebrate, sing lustily. <laughs> <laughs> However that looks. <laughs> I don't really know how that looks. Finally, the last thing. I think this will be the final thing. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Good. Worship is mission. I touched on it already, so I'm kind of repeating myself a bit again. I find it happens with old age, <laughs> middle age. Um, when you tell a story and there's people who are not Christians around, that pulls them in, draws them in somehow. There's a guy who was the minister of St. Michael Le Belfry Church in, in York, where I live, um, a guy called David Watson, and you might have even seen his books. Um, he was a, a big evangelist in the UK in the 70s and probably the early 80s. And David Watson, I came across this quote from David Watson. He said, the church's preaching should be answering the questions raised by the church's worship. Wow. Now, there's a challenge to our worship life and to our preaching. Because sometimes I wonder whether the church's worship raises the question, is there a God? (laughs) Is Jesus alive? Did he die and raise again? Is he ascended at the right hand of the Father? Because sometimes it can be quite humdrum. Now, this is why I say, let me just come back again. I don't think you're there. So please don't take this as I'm kind of rebuking you for your lack of passion because you have that in spades, I think. It's been wonderful. It's been energizing to be with you this weekend. But the church's preaching is about answering the questions that the church's worship provoke. And so that means that you will have, you must expect there to be people among you Sunday by Sunday who are not Christians. You must. And there might be some here today. Hello. (laughs) You've got to expect that. It's not just about getting yours on Sunday. It's about building up your brothers and sisters. And it's about telling a story to people who are not yet part of God's covenant community by provoking them with your thanksgiving and your life that they might become a part of that. Now, there's a whole bunch of practical implications in, in the way that you do things as a church in that sense. In jokes and clickiness have got to go. You've got to, you've got to clear the ground of every single thing that could become a stumbling block to somebody actually hearing and experiencing the story for themselves, right? Very important that we understand that. We've, we've stopped using the terms non-Christian or unbeliever on Sunday because I, I think, for one, it's offensive if you fall into that category. For two, you've actually called them that. And what I want to do is, is actually cause them to think, well, what would I think? What do I think I am? And so we're always, I've drummed it now, it's, it's almost a joke now, it's like the we don't have to, we get to thing. We say, if you're here and you wouldn't think of yourself as a Christian, or if you wouldn't regard yourself as a Christian, because I want people to think, am I? What does, what, hang on a minute, I thought I was. What does he mean? What do I, what, what do I think? Who am I? <laughs> I want that kind of process to go on people's thought, hearts and minds. Rather than just to kind of call them something, so right from the beginning, the guy who's leading the meeting, the pastor or whatever, has told me what I am. I don't fit here. I don't belong. <laughs> I want to tweak people's interest so that they then look around and they watch people who would call themselves Christians building one another up with thankfulness in their hearts to God, telling this amazing story of the one creator, God, and his exodus acts 
and going, wow, how do I get in on this story? That's what's involved in it. And so Sunday morning worship does a couple of things. It builds us up as a church. It does a few things. It glorifies Jesus. It builds us up as a church, which is the body of Jesus. And it's mission because it's telling the story to people who are not yet Christians and presenting the glorious acts of God to them in a faithful, energetic, lustful, lustily, <laughs> lustful. <laughs> I'll get my coat. <laughs> you get the picture, right? That's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Spiritual gifts form a part of that, but they're not the, they're not the focus per se. In fact, how are we doing for time, Joe? We've got like half an hour still? Yeah. Two, minutes. Right. Let me just... Yeah, let's go for it. Right. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the classic passage that we all wheel out to talk about, teach about spiritual gifts. Do you know how, what the opening line in that, uh, uh, the translation of that is, most Bibles it says, now, now about spiritual gifts, brothers. It's not really a great translation. A better translation would be now about spiritual things, brothers. Or spiritual people. So what Paul is doing is bringing a correction to a church that has thought that they've arrived because of the, the, the plethora of gifts and, and utterances that are at work among them on a Sunday, on a meeting-by-meeting meeting basis, perhaps. And Paul has to say, listen up. No one, no one speaking by the Spirit of Christ says Jesus is accursed. Well, obviously, duh. <laughs> no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an interesting phrase. What does he mean? What he means is that no one can confess that Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the first century Jewish rabbi, teacher, prophet, is now recognized as Lord, as God, ascended at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit reveals that. So no one can confess it. It's the basic Christian confession. No one can say that unless the Spirit has revealed it. And what he is doing in that is saying all spiritual gifts flow from that fountain head. And so the evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God amongst the people in any place is that they corporately confess that Jesus is Lord. Because you cannot do that unless the Spirit has revealed it. And then out of that flow the gifts as well. The fact that he talks about saying Jesus is accursed suggests this, that in pagan worship, there's all kinds of inspired utterance. But none of it comes from the fountainhead of Jesus is Lord. And so he's saying, listen, you Corinthian people, you Corinthians, the, the, the number of utterances in your meetings is not the primary evidence of God's presence among you. The primary evidence of God's presence among you is that you're worshipping Jesus as King and Lord. And then out of that flow spiritual gifts. And so the place of gifts is that we worship Jesus as King and then we build up the church by spiritual gifts and grace given by the Spirit that builds us up and strengthens us. You understand? It's really important that we get that. Because otherwise it becomes we're looking, we're chasing after these things and looking for these things is like, you know, some identifier that God was here. <laughs> and it becomes this sort of strange, subjective thing. Some people say, oh, God was really there this morning. Someone else is going, what, really? What do you mean? The, the, the evidence of God's presence is worshipping Jesus, the man, as King and Lord and God. Right? We give ourselves to that. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> 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 that's not original to Joe. That's a, that's a John Hosier thing, actually. I'm not saying we don't want spiritual gifts. We do, very, very much so, because it's grace to us. But we don't go chasing after it as the thing. What we're looking for is Jesus acknowledged 
Lord, building up the church, telling the story, telling the story to unbelievers or people who wouldn't regard themselves as Christians. Okay? You with me? Tackle with me? Okay, I hope that doesn't kind of cut against anything that you, you guys have said. I think it's important that we understand that because otherwise we start gauging meetings by the number of things that get said. And it's not the evidence of success or whether it's a good meeting or not. It really, really isn't. Neither is it how do I feel when I leave. Did I feel good when I left? Well, who cares? You might feel pants, but you've had your whole kind of imagination stirred and you're thinking about life differently again. You might be walking out thinking, boy, wow, God really convicted me then. There's some things I need to change. And that's painful. That's hard. But it comes from Jesus' lordship being acknowledged. Good not the church. Right. I'm outie. We're going to worship. Right? <laughs> We're going to do this thing. So what I want to say, let's, let's stand up together, John. Um, actually, John, can we just have you again? Is that all right? I'm not the band. Do you, do you have Canadian Idol? You do? <laughs> Is it the poor cousin of American Idol? <laughs> all right. Is it painful to admit that? No. Okay. So, okay. Why don't we, why don't we just raise our hands before the Lord? I'm going I'm to help to lead us now. I think what would be great to do is we're, we're going to sing some songs. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to have a, a, an, an attentiveness, though, to the fact that we speak and sing to one another with thankfulness to God, right? So we're going to think horizontally as well as vertically in our worship. All right? You got it? Now, also, I think it would be great to make some space for two or three stories. Right? Story testimony. This is how God delivered me here. This is how this story is playing out in my life this week, this month. Right? Two or three people just to come and say, you know, it worked like this. This happened. This is how God broke through for me. And, you know, please, I'm looking for things where it's not like, well, I, you know, I found a dollar under my shoe or something, you know. We're looking for, like, God really broke through in this area. I don't want to belittle people's stuff, but, you know, let's have stuff that builds us and builds our faith together. And then also prophecy, tongues, interpretation. But we have to bring in all of these elements. And we're looking for a well-rounded picture of New Testament church life and worship rather than just a kind of slightly slimmed down version that doesn't take in these other elements too.